This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today on the program, our guest is Donna Yell, Executive Director of the Mississippi Urban Forest Council. She's dedicated her career to helping people and communities understand the importance of trees. Mississippi is a great place to enjoy the woodlands, but what if you want a piece of that forest in your backyard or your community? We'll talk about the right trees to plant to attract certain wildlife and other programs by the Urban Forest Council. And as always, Dr. Major's here ready for some pet questions. So join our conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. And I always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Libby, you've got some events that you want to tell us about. Let's see. Uh, today is... Thursday, June the 27th, and there are a couple of evening events, adult events, really. Uh, down in Moss Point, the Pascoola River Center has birds and brews tonight. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a fun thing to do. <laughs> Get down on the water and uh, learn some things about birds in a good environment. Yeah. And you start the weekend early, I think, on Thursday. Mm-hmm. I think the weekend starts on Thursday on the coast always. So anyway, <laughs> That's when I'm so. there, it's true, yeah. <laughs> and then Holly Springs is uh, similar. They're, in fact, their event starting at 7 p.m. and going through midnight. Okay. So this is a fun night in the woods. And when does the event in Pascagoula start? Uh, it's 5 to 7. So okay. it starts right after work okay. in Pascagoula or Moss Point, yeah. Sorry. And then Holly Springs is. Um, seven o'clock tonight till midnight. You're gonna have a late. You're gonna feel bad in the morning at work, maybe, but take <laughs> off the morning. But this is the Mississippi Bat Working Group. Okay, we've had several people from that group on the show, and uh, they're gonna take an uh, right at dusk a wagon trip out into the woods, and uh, they'll have nets up to catch bats. You'll they'll talk about bats. You'll learn about other evening things in the woods you know i'm always encouraging people to go to the woods at night so i was glad to see somebody actually planned a trip a a outdoor event till midnight to enjoy the outdoors and then here in the jackson area at the natural science museum tomorrow is fun friday from 10 to noon they are going to have adventures and um it's basically taking a trip into the past, the way, way past, dinosaur kind mm-hmm. of past, and uh, talking about tricks that dinosaur hunters use or secrets that they use to find dinosaur bones. So uh-huh. kids might be interested in that. You'll make fossil art and uh, do some things in the Dinosaur Around the World exhibit. It's really fun. There are 13 gigantic dinosaurs there right mm-hmm. now and they move and make sounds and they're very realistic looking and then tuesday james starnes a geologist with the uh, mississippi department of environmental quality is going to do a lecture at noon 
talking about what was going on in Mississippi during the Ice Age. And this was a very different place. We had mastodons, which are elephants, lions, saber-toothed tigers, horses, giant bears, all kinds of great big, they call them the megafauna. Mm-hmm. And um, we have the bones of all these things as proof that they were here. All right. <clears throat> so, quick update. Last week, our producer, Java, found a kitten in the road, uh, brought it to work, uh, and we were, uh, at the time, had not found a forever home, but our colleague and co-worker, Karen Brown, came through. Uh, she found a good home for it, and we understand that it is now thriving in its new home. So, that's a good ending to that, because, you know, another kind of sad thing I saw online that I think took place in Lincoln County, that someone had dumped a recliner, a television set, and a dog. And the dog had remained in the recliner waiting for its owner to come back and pick it up. Uh, and it never did. Uh, and so the animal uh, control rescued it. And, again, that dog apparently is uh, being rehabilitated. And hopefully, again, we'll find someone uh, that will care for that because, I don't know, maybe let me step on my soapbox here for just a minute. You know, if you want to have a pet, that's fine. But realize you have to have the responsibility of it. And if you don't think that you can take care of it, don't, don't get one because it's a, such a sad thing when, when we see animals like that, that, uh, that are abandoned. Uh, and it's good to see that there are people kind enough to take them into their home uh, and provide a loving home for them. Okay. Hop off the soapbox. Uh, it's a giving Thursday today. So at the day you're going to hear information about the latest way to support MPB. It's called change. Uh, basically your spare change is used to show your support. You can either select an amount of uh, pennies each day that you want to give to us, or you can round up your purchases to the nearest dollar. Either way, uh, we'll get your spare change and it helps support MPB. So our producer Java, again, uh, out there thinking of some of the pet related things that you might uh, spend on. And then when you round up that uh, purchase, we'll get some uh, benefit as well. Uh, one of these, uh, the first one is a GoPro fetch harness. Now, a GoPro, I think, are those little cameras that uh, bikers and uh, other active people use. So it's a tiny little camera. Uh, so you might could get some crazy dog footage from that. Um, there's a collapsible silicon water bowl. Uh, Dr. Major, I, I think uh, a lot of times, maybe in the hot time, you know, hot summer or whatever, we think about uh, proper hydration for our pets. But really, that's something, and I think especially with cats, you need to worry about and make sure that they always have a good source of fresh uh, water throughout the year. Exactly. And, of course, it's really important now, but it always is. I mean, it's, we have to have water to live, and uh, it's, it's pretty bad if when we're in 95-degree weather. And the dog turns the water bowl over, or it's not sufficient for uh, good good hydration. That uh, certainly we can get into heat exhaustion and heat stroke because of that. Uh, cats and and dogs both require plenty of water. Okay, uh, and also I would say I've got some silicon uh, uh, like uh, spoons and things that I use in the kitchen, and I like that material is really good. I think it's a little bit better maybe than uh, some of the older things, but it, it's I think it will uh, be good. And so that's something that you could spend it on. Also, we talked about this before the show started: a dog life vest with a shark fin. And I guess the common assumption, Doctor Major, is that all dogs could swim, but that's apparently not the case. Exactly, and a lot of dogs can't swim, and. Some of the bulldogs, especially, they have impaired uh, respiration or mm-hmm. nose situation anyway. But uh, some of these dogs will literally sink. And uh, there are other dogs that love the water. 
Uh, everybody talks about Labs being the great water dog, but there, there are a lot of dogs that really love the water and uh, can swim well. But if you're in a boat, for example, and your dog jumps out, uh, there's an excellent chance that without a life vest, could drown. So I would, uh, whether it's a vest that inflates or one that just allows the dog to float there while you pick it up, most of them have a grip on top where you can actually just scoop down and, and pick up, so that's good. One thing about the bowls I'll mention is that uh, I prefer either a stainless steel or a crock-type bowl. Okay. The plastic, some of the plastic bowls can actually cause depigmentation of dog's uh, nose. In other words, uh-huh. instead of a black nose, you may have a mottled pink nose, this sort of thing. And I can't tell you <coughs> which plastics would do that, but there are some that literally will. Uh, over time, cause some depigmentation of the uh, skin around the nose, on the nose. Okay. And our last uh, object is a pet cube play. It says pet owners who can't travel with their furry companions. It's a, it's a Wi-Fi pet camera with built-in laser allowing you to watch, chat, and play with your pup or kitty uh, away from home anytime, anywhere. So uh, I know I sometimes hear my cat yelling when I uh, leave, and so maybe this would be something. Um, although I, I imagine that, you know, you would buy all this and the cat might not really be interested in wanting to interrupt his nap or whatever that day to talk to you. But that sounds like a high-tech way uh, to keep engaged with your pet when you're not at home with him. Um, so, um, oh, another thing, just uh, curious, I, I noticed that one of my cat's whiskers was turning black, and so I did a little research, but apparently I found out, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Major, but it said that the, it said ginger color, but my cat is one of those orangish, yellowish tabbies, that apparently that's uh, kind of natural for them, and that they sometimes will get a little discoloration in their face, and that their whiskers uh, can sometimes turn black, but uh, uh, what the, the upshot I got what was that it's not will not harm the cat and it's a sort of a kind of a natural thing right and it's hard to say which cats will do this and which won't but certainly there's nothing wrong with that uh changing and sometimes thinking in terms of things that change sometimes around the lips especially on a cat it will turn uh have some black splotches that will appear there over time okay so, so there can be some color changes uh one of the things we see a lot of times with whiskers though if you've got two cats a lot of times the other cat will actually groom that cat and remove the whiskers so sometimes there are no no whiskers there at all hmm. that's interesting although yet uh my brother has two cats and yes they do that a lot is that and it's funny because i think one of them tends to do it to the other a lot of times and, and sometimes it looks like the one getting groomed is not actually quite in the mood for that but right. uh, they, they seem to work it out because they've <laughs> right. been litter mates and uh, have been together for a long time so they've got that system worked out among themselves i'm sure let's get one call in before our break and we'll talk to shirley in starkville good morning shirley you're on the air with us go ahead all right never mind let's uh, hold that let's go ahead and take a break then uh this is creature comforts on mpb think radio we're going to be talking today with donna yow the executive director of the mississippi urban forest council if you have a question for donna or a question about planting trees in your community or your backyard give us a call the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can email the show send it to animals at mpbonline.org we'll be right back so stay tuned an evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered join me meredith michelle with wjsu's evening jazz seven to ten weeknights on mpb music radio 
Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today is Donna Yowell, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Urban Forest Council. If you want to join our conversation with a question or comment, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. So Donna, thanks for joining us this morning. If you would tell us a little bit about your background and the work that the Urban Forest Council does. Well thank you and we're so glad to be here. The Mississippi Urban Forest Council is a nonprofit. We're not a government agency, but we do partner with a lot of government agencies as well as private industry partners. We have been in existence for about thirty years and we are a unfunded mandate by the Farm Bill in order to provide education to community leaders, to citizens, homeowners, anyone that's managing trees and property uh, regarding trees, how to manage them, what to plant, and the benefits of those, and how to use trees to improve communities, your quality of life, habitat, and all the other benefits that go with them. And I guess uh, people who are concerned about trees, a negative stereotype might be, you know, quote unquote, a tree hugger. So you think of that. But really, uh, if you would tell us a little bit about the benefits of trees and, and how they can uh, help you, like we were mentioned at the beginning of the show, maybe in your backyard or in your community, why are trees good for us, I guess to say? Well, you know, we really, uh, sometimes we have to bridge that gap where uh, I like to say I'm not a tree hugger, but I do learn to use trees to improve our communities and our lives. But there's a lot of benefits, you know, and the economical benefits are huge. There's a professor, Dr. Kathy Wolf, that has a research uh, website, and you might want to Google that, that talks about the um, people tend to shop more, spend more money, and stay longer in our communities that are well landscaped and that have trees. And those of us that live here in Mississippi totally get it because a shade tree helps us in so many ways. We can enjoy our environment much better under a shade tree. But also, you look at the energy conservation. You can save up to 27% on your utility bill if your trees are planted in the right place, the right tree in the right place around, around a building. So there's a lot of economic development benefit. And, you know, when you talk about where do you want to live and what communities you want to visit, it's a big part of the puzzle. It's a big piece of the puzzle that, and actually one of the other great parts about it, it's a low-cost piece of the puzzle. So you can plant a tree in Mississippi and spend a dollar planting a tree, and you're going to get anywhere from $24 to over $100 worth of benefit from that $1. Also, I'm not sure if psychological is the right word to use, but the you know, I think the fact that people just like being out in areas where there are trees. You know, I think about even major cities like New York City has Central Park. There's always urban areas that are looking to have green spaces. So I think there's something maybe kind of calming about being in an atmosphere, being in an area that has trees. It is so true. And, you know, it's not just the shade factor, but it's um, we all have stories of growing up, you know, growing up with trees and those sort of things. So uh, and it's a great gathering place for people. And we're seeing a huge trend of urban forestry. And, you know, when we talk about urban forestry in Mississippi, we have so many rural communities. We're also talking about those. We're talking about communities that may be 500 population as well as some of the larger communities. So it works, and the benefits are there for all communities. 
This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Throughout the hour, we're going to be visiting with Donna Yowell, Executive Director of the Mississippi Urban Forest Council, and we always look for your questions and comments to add to our discussion. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Let's see if we've got uh, Shirley on the line from Starkville. Shirley, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Morning. Thank you for your show. Sure. Uh, two things. Uh, I have uh, a little, on my patio, a uh, little uh, table fountain. And uh, when I went to uh, clean it out, there was a nest with two little baby birds who were with their little mouths opening for food. And uh, so I uh, turned over some bricks and found some little uh, worms and roly-poly bugs (laughs) and fed them. Um, And that was about three days ago. I put them in a place where I put the nest in a place where I thought, the mom would come and, you know, find them and uh, maybe uh, take them back with her. But they're still there. Now, am I, um, you know, by this human intervention, uh, am I preventing uh, the mother from connecting with the baby? No, I I think that you've done some of the right things, but she can't move them. You know, she—it's oh. one of the things they've got wings instead of hands, and she can't move those babies. Right. So you've got to put the nest in a place where she can just come and feed them. So if have you had any evidence that she's come back at all to feed them? Well, that's it. I can't. I can't really tell. So I was just you know feeding them uh, in the event. Well, I know yeah. she doesn't have hands, yeah. it, but it's, I, I mean, it's, I, I didn't know whether uh-huh. they pick them up with the beak until they learn how to fly or yeah, whatever. She can't, she's not able to move them, so you, you'll need to put them somewhere where they can be safe to stay. But but <clears throat> that's that's not always that hard to do. You know, a little box or a, a little basket that you can, It's a lot of times a woven basket is good because it's got a handle that you can strap or tie onto a tree branch as close to where you found them as possible. And um, the mom and the dad, usually, sometimes it's just the mom, but will um, usually come back and take care of them if you've not moved them very far and you've put them in a place where they can access them. Well, it's, I did. I, I, I took yeah. them out, out of the fountain because I, I needed to turn sure. it over. Yeah. But I put them on the table. Yeah, maybe little wrens. Yeah. Do, yeah. Um, are they still alive? Yeah. Well, then she's probably found them because they need to eat every few okay. hours. So, okay. yeah, give okay. her some alone time and keep the pets away. And if they're still alive, I think you've done the right thing, Shirley. Okay. The other thing is, uh, and I compare notes with uh, uh, someone else. I haven't had hummingbirds to come. I have three feeders out, and I was comparing notes with a neighbor. She said hers haven't uh, um, she hasn't seen any either, and I'm wondering if you know other people are experiencing this. Yeah, uh, they they they've they've migrated to wherever they're going to be, and they're nesting pretty much right now. But um, every now and then, uh, you know, a, a couple will still be looking for some place to be, or or a single bird that hasn't found a mate, and they might come to your feeder. 
so I would say leave them out, but I'm sorry none have shown up. You might want to move them around Love your it. yard. There's a lot of, I know where I live, there's a lot of natural food for my hummingbirds. So they, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll come and feed on the feeders, but they also have natural food. So if you, if you have some vines with flowers on them or things where you can tell where they're feeding, you might um, hang your feeders in a kind of a shaded place close to those natural sources so that they will find them easier. Yeah, I've planted several red flowers uh, near where the uh, feeder is, and it's under a, a, a crepe myrtle tree. Have you seen uh, hummingbirds? Have you seen hummingbirds on the flowers? No, I haven't, okay. and uh, that's why I guess I'm concerned because I, uh, maybe they're just not in this area yet, or maybe I need to sit on the patio longer. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I, I've just not noticed them the way I have, you know, in past uh, season. Yeah, well, Darkest. I hope they come yeah. back. Don't give up on them yet. Maybe you'll get them soon. One final thing, as far as the trees are concerned, I have relatives who live in Atlanta, and I'm told that, uh, I love trees as well, and I'm told that Atlanta has a part of the city ordinance. Because if you notice, even along the expressways, uh, and I noticed that the last, when I was there, that there are more trees than usually uh, are in some municipalities, especially along uh, near the expressways. And so I'm told that uh, it's part of their they ordered and a certain number of trees. And Shirley, that is so important that cities adopt policy for their urban forests because, you know, as leadership changes in cities, if policy is not in place, then those things don't happen. And many of our cities are facing challenges with with um, um, heat reduction as well as stormwater, cleaning stormwater. Um, and then in Atlanta, they're doing some things that are very unusual to protect pedestrians along their sidewalks and their tourist areas uh, using trees as well. All right, Shirley, thanks for your call. We've got some open phone lines on Creature Comforts if you would like to join our conversation. We're visiting today with Donna Yell, Executive Director of the Mississippi Urban Forest Council. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. Before we get into our next break, uh, Donna, what are some of the ways that you try to spread the word about the benefits of trees? Well, actually, we have two really fun and exciting programs going on right now, and one's about pollinators. And hummingbirds are pollinators, uh, but there's lots of little uh, creatures, little insects that are great for pollination. And 90% of our plant material in our country including our food, is dependent on pollinators. And um, that is considered something that we need to take very serious at this point for our food production. Um, And in honor of Pollinator Month, which is June, we are giving away flowers. And if anybody's interested, they can go on our Facebook page called Mississippi (coughs) Pollinators for Food Security. So that's one of the benefits that you're going to be hearing more and more about in the near future. One of the other programs that we're doing right now and and really focusing on is creating arboretums. And does everybody know what an arboretum is? What is it? Tell us. It's a park of trees. It is literally just a park. It doesn't have to have trails or benches or lights or any of those things. It can have those, of course. Um, But it's a park of trees, and to be a certified arboretum in Mississippi, and we're doing public spaces, um, but you can also have your own private property certified as an arboretum. But you need a minimum of 30 native species, and 
we do request that they're inventoried and identified so that we can determine uh, if the site actually qualifies as an arboretum. And this year, we've we've uh, had the good fortune to partner with the group Canadian National Railroad and all the communities that their tracks run through in Mississippi, which is quite a few. They have uh, provided the funding for us to create 14 new arboretums in Mississippi. Very good. All right, uh, let's take another break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with Donna. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to join our conversation. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email animals at mpbonline.org. Dr. Major here, ready to take some pet questions as well. So stay tuned to Creature Comforts. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. We're back on Creature Comforts. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today, Donna Yell, Executive Director of the Mississippi Urban Forest Council. We're talking about urban forests, the importance of trees in our backyards and in our communities and in our state. Uh, Also, as we always do, uh, Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions. And if you have a brush with wildlife or a nature-related question, you can give us a call as well. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Call us at 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back to the phone lines we go. Off to Beaumont. Our friend Sue is on the line. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I'd like to ask Libby a question about fireflies because she's the expert, I think. <laughs> All right. About about 10 days ago, we had a power outage on the road where I live, and it wasn't until there was no electric lights anywhere that I noticed a bunch of fireflies outside, and they were, they were flashing a white light and green light, and I thought I saw some red light, too. Is it possible? How many colors can they can they emit? Okay, mostly it's kind of greenish, yellowish, or white. But my eyes sometimes kind of reflect light in such a way that sometimes I the flash looks like it's got a little red in it too. And I think that's a function of our eyes. I don't know. Have you had cataract surgery? Yes. Uh-huh. Some people have told me that with cataract surgery, they now see a little bit different light spectrum when the lights flash and it may be whatever they've done cleaning off our lenses or or something but um, I'm glad you're seeing fireflies was it later in the night or early in the night that you see Mm -hmm. Uh kind of on the edges of the woods maybe right right yeah um, yeah, there was a, there's a, a, a the probably our most common firefly comes out right there at dusk and is uh, it almost percolates out of the the ground out of the grass going up to look for it starts flashing kind of testing out the area I guess to see if it if others start flashing too but uh, it's fun to watch and I've had other people say that when the power went off they noticed that they had fireflies so I'm glad you saw them. Thank you. Could I make a comment about the trees? Sure. I cringe when I see a truckload of hardwood pass by because I know nobody's replanting those. It's it's a shame. It should be some kind of law that when you cut down a hardwood tree, you have to replant it. That's all I have to say. All right. Sue, thanks for the call. Donna, is there any kind of effort maybe working towards uh, laws like that to maybe 
have a reforestation type element? Well, most of those policies are adopted on a local level, and there are communities that are replacing. You know, here in Mississippi, we have all these historic areas in most of our communities, and a lot of the mayors and leadership are replacing those because they know they're eventually going to have to come down and do it, sort of mitigating the removal of those hardwoods. Um, And then in other parts of the country, there's uh, utility companies that mitigate their impact by replacing hardwoods. Florida is a good example, uh, and I would love to see that replicated in Mississippi, but for every caliber inch tree that they remove, they replace it with four caliber inch trees. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, the utility companies do that in Florida. Matter of fact, after Katrina, they brought over hundreds of live oaks to replace and donate to the cities along the coast after Katrina. So there are a lot of efforts to that. Some are volunteer, and and I would encourage anyone that is uh, even as an individual or involved in a civic group is to go to your your leadership and maybe help develop a, a policy or maybe not even a policy, maybe just a replant program for every tree that's that's lost because you know if you look at areas where trees are removed and you're you're back to um concrete and rooftops and that's pretty much it those property values decline um and they become not so pleasant places to live so it's important to mitigate the removal of trees and also you know it sounds like maybe a tree planting project would be for a scout group maybe a church group uh for fraternities and sororities, the people that are always looking for, you know, ways to help their community, uh, both to help the community, but also to look good on a resume or whatever. But it sounds like that might be something uh, that groups could get involved with. I wanted to follow up because you said something during the break that I thought was interesting about the Arboretum program. And that was that you said, if the if a city or a community has a desire and they identify a, a space and you said they needed 30 trees, you said you'll come in and inventory them and possibly be able to help them get up to the requirements. Talk about that if you would. Thank you. Um, it's a very, we can keep it a very simple program. Literally an arboretum is a space filled with trees and to be a certified arboretum, it needs to be 30 native trees. So if a community wants to participate, all they really need to do is identify a public space. It could be a school, the landscape around city hall. It can be a downtown district, um, any kind of public space that may have existing trees already. And we'll come in and inventory those. And if it's missing, you know, like 10 natives, trees, we'll come back in and add those for the city. And then we also have a program where you can, well, trees focusing on two topics, flowering trees and trees that serve as pollinators. And we're providing uh, pollinator sites for communities all over the state. And we have a, a program called Bloomtown that we provide flowering trees as well. And and a lot of those serve as nesting, but not just nesting, but pollen and nectar and those sort of things. Yeah, when you think about what's good for a bird, you need food, water, shelter, space. Sometimes the tree is really good for birds because it's a place they can go when there's a storm. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, a, a magnolia tree, they say uh, maple trees, birds, and then also birds that are good for pollen, I mean, trees that are good for pollinators, They've got caterpillars there, and that's the number one food that um, mama birds need for feeding their babies in a lot of species. So. Mm-hmm. And, and when we think about pollinators, you know, the first thing that comes to our mind is butterflies, but there are all sorts of pollinators. Uh, some animals are pollinators, but then there's a lot of insects as well. We call those 
beneficial insects. They're they're not the bad guys. <laughs> Bats are pollinators. Yes. And they're dependent on trees usually because they need tree yes. cavities for roosting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got another caller on the line. And uh, Johanna, am I saying that correctly, from Jackson? That's, that's, yes, that's, that's my name. Okay, go um, ahead. I wanted to ask y'all a question. This is kind of not about the trees, but my mother lives in Waynesboro, Mississippi, and we had left out a kitty pond out there for several years. We would catch rainwater for other animals to drink out of. Well, it got to where it had frogs in it, and you could walk by and see them jump off the limbs and jump into the pond. And um, it's off the road, and it's right next to woods that are her woods. It's not next to any agricultural or anything like that. We were moving her. I went by. I thought, well, I'm going to go look at the little kitty pond. And I looked over in it, and I saw a frog floating upside down. And I picked it up, and it was a frog that was a, a tadpole that has, it still had its tail, but it had its, had its legs. And then I reached in the bottom of it, and there was another tadpole that was about two and a half inches wide and about three inches long. And they were just pristine, though. They had not started to decay or anything. So whatever happened to them happened abruptly and acutely. And I don't know, can y'all give any explanation of what might have happened? So both of those tadpoles were, were dead? Yeah, dead. but they were okay. pristine. They had died shortly before. Uh-huh. Were there other tadpoles in the pond that were alive? I didn't get it. We were moving her that day, and I didn't get a chance to look. The only thing is some people came earlier to visit her because she was leaving, mm-hmm. and the thought went through my head. I wonder if somebody thought they were being helpful and went out and sprayed it to keep mosquitoes down. Would that have done that? Could be. Yeah, that's possible. Um, I'm trying to think of something else. Now, sometimes if the water is really gets gets too low, if it's if it's, are you talking about how how deep is that water? That water it's, it's like pity. I guess it's about a foot or a. Yeah, so that should be enough water. Yeah, if it's got a foot deep. I was thinking, yeah, if it gets down to a couple of inches and it's hot, sometimes that will actually kill animals in the pond in hot weather. Um, Oh, Joanna, there's so many things that could happen. I do not know. (laughs) Yeah, I I would go back to look at the pond again and just kind of see. I would think the other thing to think about was was there a way for the almost mature tadpole frog to get out. The guy I had put earlier, I had put limbs in it, not right. even thinking about frogs, put limbs right. in it. When, um, so I was thinking about other things falling right. in, but I hadn't thought about frogs. I was just trying to figure out if they yeah. were at a certain stage and needed to get out because you'll see uh, mature tadpoles going into frogs out on the ground. So I was just wondering if at some point they needed to get out. The other thing I noticed the last time I didn't see the frogs, the frogs used to sit on the edge of it, and if you'd walk up, you'd see them jump in, right. hop off and jump right. in. I didn't see any of the older frogs, but I, for some reason, thought, well, maybe they're, I don't know what I thought. Okay. But now when I saw the dead tadpoles like that, one of them didn't have any legs. It was still a, a big tadpole. It was huge. Oh, and yeah, they may be bullfrogs. They were just, they were just, and it was pristine. It had not decayed or anything. You could see every feature of its little fin and all of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, I just hate it. Um, yeah, a, a tadpole pond is a, it's a great little, it's a good thing for kids to play with, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry. I would check it again and see. Maybe that was just a fluke that something happened to those. Can I ask you one other question? Mm-hmm. Sure, go my, ahead. Mother, 
my mother said growing up there, she said there was like an ephemeral wetland that was right down from the house. And she said birds used to light in it. She said there were all kind of frogs. There were ducks and this, that, and the other. Well, it's kind of grown up over the years with loblolly ponds and different things in it. Is there anybody or program that would help restore that back to like a small wetland area? On private land, nobody that 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 we know of. I would talk. I would talk to the extension service, possibly somebody there, or the forestry commission. Somebody, you know, you would have to probably pay for it, but at the same time, they probably could give you some advice and, and how to do that. And there's also the Natural Resource <laughs> Conservation Service, and they have a conservation reserve program that might help. Yeah, that would be worth looking into then. All right. Johanna, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Here's a pet-related email that says, I have a rambunctious six-month-old kitten that likes to pounce on everything that moves. I also have a four-and-a-half-foot king snake that lives next to my house and patrols the yard. Twice I've grabbed the kitten before he pounced on the snake. How serious would it be if the snake were to bite him? Should I relocate the king snake? Well, I, th- I think there's several things. Number one, we've talked about it, and of course, a lot of people don't uh, abide by this, but it's better to have the cat inside as opposed to outside. As far as the king snake biting the cat, uh, it's not going to hurt the cat uh, unless it's a real small kitten. Uh, but it sounds like it's pretty well developed if it's that that far along. Uh, I, I'm not so sure about relocating the snake really. Snake that snake does a wonderful job of helping uh, reduce the other snake population and rodents and this sort of thing. So, and my guess would be the cat would only be bitten once, <laughs> but you know, so it would and, learn and to stay away. That might be a good lesson. Yes, I imagine that snake's going to do everything it can to get away right. from the kitten too. <laughs> right, yeah. right. All right, uh, let's get a call in before our next break, and we say good morning to Wayne, who's called in from Long Beach. You're on the air with us, Wayne. Go ahead. Oh, uh, enjoy your program. I wanted a couple of things. Uh, when you start planting trees, please, please, please make sure you do it right. Uh, we see people, we saw people after Katrina uh, stick maples on the beach on Highway 90, and they did a really good job, but they didn't know anything. Uh, I'm a horticulturalist. You need to plant them right. You don't need to plant deep. It'll kill more trees than anything digging a deep hole. A wide hole is what you need. Call the extension service. That is one of the things that they can really help you with. And also, don't plant a tree unless you're going to water it. Uh, If you have a one-inch caliper tree at chest high, it takes a year for that to get over transplant shock. If you do a two-inch tree, it takes it two years. So uh, just a heads up. Thank you very much. And that is so true. Thank you for bringing that up. That's probably one of the biggest challenges, and it's actually one of the easiest things to to fix is correct planting of trees and correct mulching. And those two things are in the right tree in the right place, which you mentioned as well. 
And I would always say that uh, if you ever have trees in your yard and are having a question about them, that you could tune in to MPB Think Radio Friday mornings at 9 and ask the Gestalt Gardener, Felder Rushing, who has a, a wealth of experience uh, on that. So just a, a quick plug for what Felder does every Friday here on MPB Think Radio. Let's take one final break. When we get back, we'll wrap up our discussion. We're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Donnie L., Executive Director of the Mississippi Urban Forest Council. Dr. Major's here, ready to take some pet questions as well. And the phone lines are open, so give us a call. The number is one mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 Email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And our guest today, Donna Yell from the Mississippi Urban Forest Council. If you missed any of today's program, one way to find it is to subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast app. Or you can download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone, and then you get to listen to all the programs on MPB Think Radio on your schedule. Uh, so, Donna, following up a little bit on uh, what our uh, Wayne um, called the caller we had before the break. So we've talked about working with communities, but also if you're a homeowner and you want to maybe spruce up your backyard uh, with a tree or two, what are some things to think about on the front end to make sure that you you know, get the right trees and plant them in the right area, that kind of thing? You're correct, and it's so important to get the right tree in the right place. Um, you know, you really want to think about your utility situation, and not just overhead utilities, but underground utilities. Uh, and then you want to think about, well, what do I want this tree to do for me? Do I want it to provide shade for me, or do I want it to have color and those sort of things? And I and I think your your first go-to place, would once you identify what you're looking for, or say you want a tree that's going to uh, provide a wind buffer, for you from um, heavy winds if you're out in an isolated area and those sort of things or energy conservation. So once you sort of identify what your benefit is, go look at your different native species. We encourage that. And a good reason we encourage that is you look what's happening with crepe myrtles. It's not one of our favorite recommendations. We like things that are native and some we have a lot of beautiful flowering natives like tulip poplar and redbud trees and and the list just goes on and on so if you're looking for flowers and we find that a lot of people want to plant especially in communities and yards things that are pretty so if you're looking but you know in my mind a live oak tree is gorgeous but (laughs) so it's all about what you're looking for but there are enough native species in every category of benefits that you should be able to find one we offer classes and we offer plant list a general plant list and they are native on our website we've got an uh, our annual conference coming up in october in new albany we normally have that centrally located we do them all over the state so um it, you can check our website or our facebook page for our classes and things so and we'll be glad to help we're here to help um individuals as well as landowners and community leaders. 
Uh, the other thing that Wayne mentioned that I think we want to follow up on is once you plant the tree, you got to make sure you care for it properly. So uh, when you're nurturing a tree, trying to get it to be established in your yard, what are some things to think about in terms of caring for the tree? Uh, a big thing is the time of year that you plant that tree. It's very important for a tree's roots to be established in order to support everything you see above the ground. And if those roots aren't healthy and established, you're you're not going to have a healthy tree. Uh, this is one of the worst times of the year to plant. The best time of the year to plant would be anywhere from November to February, ideally, unless you're under irrigation. But it's important. The watering is a big challenge. Correct mulching. You don't want to volcano mulch because what that does is invites more uh, disease and insects into the bark of the tree. So those things are very important, uh, whether you've got shade, whether uh, trees also, most trees do not like wet feet. Um, there's a, a, a pattern in Mississippi that you can plant wet trees in a dry place, like a cypress in a dry place, but you can't reverse that. And so if you've got a wetlands or a really wet area that stays boggy, you want to definitely get the right plant material. And, it, you know, it's important, too, with the stormwater runoff and all the pollution that's running off of our rooftops and driveways and streets that, that we look at filtering those runoffs with trees as well. So uh, I think, you know, a, a lot of people think about trees, and, and a lot of trees are very, quite large. But, again, if you're thinking about something in your backyard, uh, there are, are smaller trees, I guess, that you could plant. There are, and, you know, the benefits especially as habitat and energy conservation are related to the canopy of the tree but there again if you're in a a yard situation if you do not have the space for a large tree factor that in uh, because there's you know all sizes but most of the benefits are associated with the canopy of trees that we think about like oak trees and trees that produce big you know, big shade and big canopies. But you can still get the... I don't want to discourage anyone from planting small trees. They uh, also still offer a lot of benefits. Okay. Uh, If you would, tell us maybe some of your favorite uh, native trees to Mississippi. Well, you know, I'm kind of a flower person. I like the flower aspect. Well, I say that, but the structure, too. The structure of an oak tree in Mississippi is just beautiful just gorgeous and um but a lot of the flowering things that we're getting into and the reason we're sort of focusing on that right now is because of um sizes of properties and communities and the pollinator aspect but i love you know the red buds and the you know uh, i'm reluctant to say dogwoods because they're hard to grow in mississippi but tulip poplar and uh, crab apples and catawba trees and all those sort of things. And a really good way to figure out what you want to plant in your yard is as you're driving around the neighborhood or your city, look at what's uh, pretty at the time. You know, a lot of our foliages, um, for example, red buds, even though they bloom in the spring, they have beautiful red foliage in the fall. Um, so there, there's a lot of diversity, and that's, that's a good way to figure out which tree to select is to just to pay attention to what's what's growing and blooming in your area. And I know that uh, some uh, groups, I know with the park that I walk in in Pearl, uh, uh, some gardening group or whatever has put little plaques on the trees to tell people what kind of tree they are. And I know on the... Um 
the I can't think of the name of the bike path that's down between Hattiesburg. Uh, Longleaf Trail. Long, yes, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Well, they also have the, the trees identified. So again, if you're if you see something, it's good to have an identification so you know what kind of tree it is. Right, and that's a requirement of our arboretum program. And we just certified the per, the park and pearl is one of our state arboretums. Oh, hey, great, very good. I love walking there uh, every afternoon. Uh, sometimes I I don't do it as as often as I should, but it's always a fun a fun time. Uh, got about a minute left, if you could. Uh, and someone has heard about uh, the the uh, Mississippi Urban Forest Council. How can they find out more information? Website, Facebook page, that kind of thing. We have Facebook page. Uh, we are on Instagram, and we are on. Uh, we have a website. It's the Mississippi Urban Forest Council. We post all of our programs and opportunities on those three those three sites. Um, and you're welcome to contact me, Donna Yowell. Um, and I'll be glad to help in any way I can. And don't forget, we have flowers for Pollinator Month this this month. Okay. Uh, and I always like to remind you that uh, you can always send an email during the show if you have a question. But a lot of times, uh, if you see something when you're out and about and don't know what it is, uh, if you'll snap a picture of it with your phone and send it to us, we'll try to get some information. If we in the studio can't help you, Libby's got some contacts at the museum uh, that will help you as well. And that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Our show is produced each week by Java Chapman. Our call screener today was Liz Gill, I believe. Michelle McAdoo. Sorry about that. For Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Danielle, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.